Portland is a baseball town. Our secretary didn't have anybody on the phone. <laughs> there was nobody on the phone. They were just egging me along. So they bought a little short chubby guy in with the name Peters and put him <laughs> in my place and sent me to double A ball. Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon, fueled by Guardian Games and Athletic Field Design. This is the Diamonds and Roses podcast. Without further ado, your host, Ben and Dave. Hello, sports fans. This is Ben back in the Mike Barrett studio. <laughs> he, let, he let you back in for one more, which is surprising. Considering your personal hygiene issues, I, I really am surprised. But thank you for that, Mike. I took a shower before I came over. Okay, you're your first one of the month. And that's yeah. great. It is. You know, I used, you know, baby wipes. <laughs> All right. You're, you're clean enough, I guess, for the studio. That's called the European shower. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Hey, it's no a shower European in Cultural experimentation. That's it's, fine. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, th- thanks for having us back in the in the Mike Barrett studio. We of appreciate it. And as always, I'm Ben. And I'm Dave. And we have Mike here today on the Diamonds and Roses, Roses podcast. podcast. We left off last time uh, talking a little bit about Mike's history up to the Blazers and a little bit of the WNBA. So in this episode, we're going to continue talking about Mike's career in the W in the NBA, and then we're going to move on to MLB to PDX. We're talk a little bit about that um, with Mike since we're here in his studio. So without further ado, Mike. So we're back. Thanks for joining us once again. Of course. Yeah, we we transitioned um, in talking about kind of the, the three years with the WNBA and, mm-hmm. and some of the people you met, and then um, how it, how it couldn't be sustained the league itself, and mm-hmm. and you kind of left At least off that team. Couldn't, yeah, that yeah. couldn't uh, yeah that couldn't be sustained here, and then we you kind of transitioned to your your next opportunities and the next pathways from there. So yeah, no, I um, you know I look back and and once in a while something will now you know with social media which didn't exist then but there'll be a throwback thursday clip or uh and there was one recently that was oh it was a kobe game it was me and steve jones doing the blazer game and he was my first partner and i listened to it and i hadn't heard you know because i wish i had and i'm gonna gonna have to do something about this someday but i don't really have that many games that i did and i did i think gosh if i have to sit and add them up I don't. I don't know how many. I think it's over a thousand. But it's, hmm. I, I don't. I don't have really that many. I have a few on DVD, but I, you know, I don't have a hard drive full of games or anything. But anyway, I was going back and listening and remembering, and and a lot of people, um, you know, Steve Jones was such a hero of mine growing up because I listened to everything Blazers, and I, I was the kid who between him and Sean Lee and yeah, yeah. that whole that whole crew oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. You know, yeah. Steve would do, you know, he would do courtside before the games, which was just Steve standing there answering taking phone calls and he was such so knowledgeable. And I got to be, you know, the, the time I got to spend with him was was so great. I was so young then in the job and Steve was, you know, hard on me, but he, he but I'm glad he was. Um, he taught me a ton. Uh, in my early days in the NBA on just kind of how to be during a game, how to handle statistics if I'm using too many numbers, if I'm getting in the weeds on a call or starting to get on the refs. Because Steve, one thing about Steve Jones is he never got on the officials. Just maintain that objectivity. He never did. Oh, yeah. way Yeah, very much objective, Mm -hmm. which was complete opposite of Mike Rice. Right. But they both worked. Right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And they were both loved by people, uh, by, by Blazer fans to be sure. Um, but very, very different. 
And Steve, when Steve was starting to do the um, studio show at ABC, um, and this is kind of, I think, how this happened. Steve was, you know, he was on the number one crew for NBC with Bob Costas and yeah. Bill Walton. And so then when he was, when the NBA moved to ABC and ESPN, Steve was being asked to do more and more games. So we'd go out on a road trip and he'd take off and he'd go do a few games. And so they started moving Mike Rice over to work with me mm-hmm. on TV. And we really clicked. You know, not that Steve and I didn't. It was right. just different. And Steve was going to be busy and missing games. And I know that it was just kind of one of those things. They just kind of went, you know, God bless you. Go do your national game. Right, right. And we'll just put Rice in this spot. And that was the beginning of, uh, you know, Mike and I were 12 years or whatever together. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so... Um, but it, they've certainly both <laughs> both really unique characters and very different broadcasters and very different views on the game. And and so there used to be the, I guess there still is, but it used to be Courtside Monday Night, year-round show. And it was Mike Rice and Steve Jones. But neither one of those guys are broadcasters. You know, they're both analysts. And they would... It was terrible. It was great radio and it was terrible radio hmm. because they, neither one of them knew really how to get into a break out of a break. Steve kind of did, but they would argue about the silliest things and right. then they would go on. Where you on. start to lose an audience yeah. after too long. So they sure, kind of brought me sure. in and said, you host this show and kind of be the referee for these guys. And and so I'm young at that point. I'm probably <laughs> early 30s. And for that job, that was pretty young. And, and basically said, I'm supposed to sit here between... Rice at that point, you know, when he before Mike had joined the Blazers, you know, he was at ESPN. He was doing Big Monday, and yeah. Um, and then Steve, you know, is number one team on NBC, and I'm like, okay, I got to referee this match. Are you <laughs> kidding me? But it it worked. We had a good time yeah. on the show, and and Mike and I continued to do that show for a long time. And um, but it was those are yeah, the Steve years were great, and the transition to the Mike years were were also really interesting. And 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 really when when Mike. Rice and I started doing games together because Steve was at the end of still some really good Blazer teams. Um, but then when Mike came is when they kind of rebuilt. So we had a lot to talk about in those days because when you're down 20 on game one of a six-game road trip and you don't have a chance to win any of them, yeah. you better have some good things to yeah, talk backup about. Backup material. Yeah, anybody can call a good game. Right. And I always said that because those early years That's with Mike – when you're in a blowout, you had better have done your prep and your storyboards. Yeah, can't wing it. Because you got to talk yeah. about, you've got to have, you got to make the game interesting. And I think until the very end, I, even in maybe the second to last year that Mike and I were doing games, we got blown out at Philadelphia. And Philadelphia was not a really good team. And we were smoked. But we had one of the best broadcasts and the most fun we'd had. And I had a lot of people tell me afterwards, there's no reason why I kept that game on at halftime. You knew it was going to be just a mm-hmm. behind the woodshed the whole game. But you guys were really entertaining and made me want to watch it. You guys just story told and just talked about the road. And a lot of times we wouldn't even call when a basket was made because the game was decided. So those compliments to me were far better than it's almost like what you're, call you're, you had on a big shot. You're understanding people as much as you're understanding the game. That's exactly yeah. what it mm-hmm. is. And... And if you can do that, and like, you know, I talked about uh, in the last episode, you know, reaching people across, you know, all different age groups, ethnicities, uh, you know, economic backgrounds, whatever, current conditions. Mm -hmm. If you can reach those people, um, all kind of 
give them all something that they can yeah. listen to and learn from people who've been around the game forever and people who are watching their first game. If they're entertained by you and you can keep that in mind that you're talking to all of them at the same time, I think that's what it kind of takes to be successful. And so when I talk to now and then, you know, young guys who want to get into broadcasting or want to take that next step, those are kind of usually the things I talk about. Um, some of that you can teach, and some of that I think you can't. It's intuitive, but yeah. the the prep is important. I mean, mm-hmm. I prepped a lot for each game. I mean, I would start building my storyboards, which I probably still have somewhere. Um, you know, big big sheet of paper and and just little tiny writing all over it. You know, it would take me six eight six seven hours for each game, and then write. Um, my segments of the pregame mm-hmm. show and the the open when on camera and all that stuff. It was not like the cameras just went on and you were on the air. You know, all that stuff was, you know. And, and I'd use ten percent of what I'd prepare. But you better have the you rest have to have of a surplus it, just in case. Sure. How, how far did your time frame expand? Because like you, you know, I know doing this, I I have a you know time frame that I'd like to have. But like as far as like when you're looking at these games, are you trying to go back like historically a, lo- a significant mm-hmm. period of time or yeah. just a short period of time? Yeah, and and you'd use game notes, but then you know now the internet. I mean, b- before it was probably so much di- more difficult to prepare. Oh, but, yeah. but there a lot of times was a storyline going into a game, and it was pr- probably pretty obvious. But then there was a lot of guys who weren't talked about as much, and you didn't know if they were going to play that night. But you better have their story straight because their parents are probably watching somewhere sure. on League Pass and. Um, and we would get those comments, and, and and as Twitter came in, and the you know later on, and everything. It's funny you were people. right at that transition yeah. in terms of social media and the internet. Yeah, so that's totally. a, that's an interesting deal. Being a you know it's just kind of the middle, kind of early middle part of your career as as that transition. And the time I got on Twitter, I'm trying to think. I was late to it, and I think I think Mike and I got on about the same time. It was during the lockout. Okay. Because we had to host, it's kind of a crazy, another side story This doesn't probably that interesting, but during the lockout, we, as NBA employees, we could not say a current player's name on a broadcast. Wow. Because it was speaking in code? Because it was a work stoppage. (laughs) Okay. So we had to go on and do shows, uh, two hour shows every Monday night, just on past. We'd have the past Blazer greats on and talk about old game, but we couldn't talk about anything else. It was no current players. Yeah, they were the craziest broadcasts. But we we were able to do it, and the NBA would send out you know warnings to if you say a name, if you discuss a play, you're going to be fined, and if not fired. I mean, you're, so a, you're an employee of the NBA, not an employee of the team, essentially. Well, essentially, yeah, essentially. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's all the same kind of you know. But we the were, big umbrella of the NBA. Is yeah, yeah, and they, and they that's paid, interesting. They pay, paid close attention to what you said and when Mike would go really sideways on referees um, <laughs> you know they, they never really though and, and this is another thing a myth kind of um, from those days is that we were told what to say by the team or by the league about about what to about a certain player positive or negative or what to avoid and not we never were I was never talked to about it's what not to some say. conspiracy theory no, yeah. uh-uh. and everything everybody used to think that you know oh, you guys are just walking the company line you were told to say this we were never told that I mean okay. I wouldn't be stupid you know and I plus I even when everybody said I was at the tail end of the so-called jailblazers and, and oh yeah and, and even though I loved I loved those guys I mean I I, I if I Gave saw Zach Randolph to today yeah. I would give him a hug I mean he's he was 
the, all those guys, Darius Miles was a terrific guy. Hmm. He was great to my kids. And so, I mean, it, if I always kind of approached it like that anyway. I tried to approach it not to be hokey, but with love and just kind of grace for the guys. And I always found that um, even the guys that maybe got themselves into trouble or maybe didn't have the best public perception, like a Bonzi Wells maybe. Mm-hmm. I love Bonzi. And I saw him, gosh, four years ago in Indianapolis. And he was Human so beings terrific. are a little more complex yeah. than the media makes them out to be sometimes. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think that, you know, any yeah. guy who's played ball at the noon ball at the club knows, you know, sometimes you get on the court and you're a different guy than you are often. Oh, yeah. And I think these guys, in a lot of ways, were that way. And I was around to where I knew enough of the stories. I knew what was going on, but um, always had good relationships. And that's another thing, going back to Steve Jones. Steve would never, you know, he never rode the team bus, and he didn't fraternize with the players. He didn't want to have that relationship because he wanted to be able to say things without knowing or not being not not afraid but not having that distraction perhaps of knowing okay. their family i never could i i got wrapped up in the relationships not that either did. way is wrong yeah. it's just it's just a methodology just different yeah, yeah. i yeah. mean it, it probably kept me from being as objective maybe as as steve was at all times because i wanted him to win because because right. if you start caring about somebody as a person you want to see him have success yeah yeah so a lot of times people would say you're homers and i said yeah i guess because uh yeah, I want I want these guys to succeed because I'm with them every day. Who wouldn't want them right. to succeed? Right, it's, it's it has to happen. Yeah. It's right. inevitable. I think, Absolutely. I think that would be beneficial having that relationship with them because they probably feel more comfortable around like you talking during your their post game interviews or just mm-hmm. off you know off the cuff interviews at any point. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that that's probably one of the yeah. benefits. And even even guys like when Arvidas Sabonis was here, you know, and Arvidas would always come off like he didn't speak very good English because he didn't like doing interviews. But <laughs> I had I had several times with Arvidas long talks and and he spoke a lot better English than he came off talking about. It. And I remember talking to. I used to play golf with Steve Kerr now and then when Steve was here and we started talking one time and I wrote a story about, it had been written before, but you know, his dad was assassinated. He was in Beirut. Oh yeah. He was at American university in Beirut and was, was killed by terrorists. And so, and I was after nine 11 and I asked Steve if I could do that story on his dad and he said, sure. So there were some really cool things like that. Um, that were a byproduct of the relationship and the trust that you build with the players. So I guess I probably wasn't terribly old school when it come when it came to that because a lot of those guys didn't do that. But then there were some guys that did too. And you think way back, especially in baseball, so much right. of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, Vince Scully and Mel Allen and yeah. Mel Allen and these guys they they had relationships with the guys. I I don't I wouldn't have known any other way to do it. Interesting. So I mean, and that you know that it's that kind of uh, kind of bringing a humanity to it and. Uh, and just uh, understanding the complexities of people, mm-hmm. I think um, I think we get we get caught up and we watch athletes, right? And we, we sometimes forget that we mm-hmm. forget that they're they're, they're, they're multifaceted. And know? social media is really ugly that way. Oh my I'd goodness! See guys get torn apart, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, even even now and then, guys that I you know I Myers Leonard, I you know when he came in the league. I just love the guy. I love him. I love his family. I love Seems his like wife. a nice guy. And you know, and the fans get on him now, and then I understand. But it's like, I, and I know people don't want to hear this because you know. But there's a guy behind that. Yeah. You know, there's a human behind it's that, a, and uh. and I understand. I understand that's not the you know, and especially maybe with the younger people on social media, it's so much easier to anonymously bash. Somebody yeah. And, and it's just, it's a, that's a culture shift. It is. Yeah. It really is. And it's kind of an ugly yeah. one and it doesn't happen. All I get it. I'm a, guys, I'm a high school teacher. I, I yeah. know. It. Yeah. It's uh, it's, and you've got to develop a thick skin. And even, yeah. even when we got on Twitter, when, you know, when we as in me and Mike and broadcasters, um, you know, you'd get 
after each game, you'd get on the team bus and you'd have a bunch of direct, you know, messages to you or tweets at mm-hmm. you and 95 or 98% of them are good. And then you'd have a couple that would just be like harsh and yeah, you know, it's not supposed to bother you, but everybody, you're not human. Yeah. If you know, even if you do have thick yeah. skin, you kind of go, geez, that's ugly. What, what What's yeah. going on? With yeah. Like person? why? Yeah. 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 I know you probably deal with some of that today because you, you see some of the comments like geared towards you or, you know, Craig or some of the other people that are involved with the, the diamond project. And it's like, Come on, you know, like really, yeah. like why? That's, and I, and again, I know that's that's kind of the way things are. And you know, I think too, and I don't read a lot of that. Um, if somebody, you know, if I do, and it's not like I have a, I'll answer all those questions, especially after, you know about the project we're doing now. Um, but sometimes it's ugly just to be ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, some of that stuff, I, I and I do spend too much time probably on Instagram and Twitter and whatnot. I'm not on Facebook. I was on years ago, but I'm not anymore. But I spend, I, that's kind of my news feed, which mm-hmm. shouldn't be the case. I mean, I, I, I get on, I talk to this about my wife all the time. I stop getting your news from Facebook, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's convenient. Yeah, yeah it yeah, is convenient. Sure. sure. But, um, I can't think of many times when I spend 15 minutes on Twitter that I think, well, that was 15 minutes well spent because it really isn't. <laughs> but if you use it properly and the way we spread information and hopefully it's good information now, especially about this project now, mm-hmm. as complex as it is. It's a useful tool for us. Yeah, and let's let's go back into talking about the project, and let's talk about um, you know the great things that you're you've been doing. I mean, you've been working with the project for about two years now. Is that correct? A little more. Yeah. yeah. To Craig and I. Yeah, two and a half, probably, maybe a little more than that. And you guys come a long way since some from the beginning to you know where we're at right now, where you have stadium renderings out, you yeah. have uh, you know a location that you're working on, you know you've got that in contact with Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. and the things that you're doing is just really phenomenal. Did you you ever vision at the beginning of this like you know you'd be at this point this quickly? Yeah, what was your no. realistic vision early on? Cynical. Was it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I'd seen it before and because I came from the media. So I naturally probably was more cynical than I should okay. be. I was all for it. Um, I've been a little more of the realist at times. Craig is very optimistic and I love that about him. <laughs> um, and I now, you know, I went from early on going, well, this will be a great thing to be involved with. But gosh, there's a lot of there's a lot of hurdles. And then I went to I'd come home and go, gosh, you know, this really and we came home from our first meeting with Commissioner Manfred in New York, and uh, that's almost two years ago. And I kind of thought, you know, I kind of thought we went into that. We were there's probably you know six, seven, eight cities going for this, and they, you know, where where do we stack up? And I kind of I came home and said we're kind of the the city and the West Coast city, from what I had heard and heard directly from you know chipping away at your cynicism a little yeah, bit. Totally. Yeah, totally. And and that kind of has happened all along. And now I'm to the point where this is going to happen. I just don't know when. I mean, I think that, you know, obviously we all want it sooner than later. Um, but it is a complex project with, you know, you mentioned, you know, we did we did release our preferred site, which is what we say, but um, it's not our only site. Mm-hmm. And I'll say there's a lot more going on than we can be public with for yeah. lots of different reasons. Sure. And it's not to be secretive or try to be sneaky. It's just because we have to be mindful of all the relationships and all the partnerships right. that we currently have, including uh, city government, state government, um, and then some of the other business partners that we're working with in all of these situations. But I will say that 
every time I have a meeting or I go into one thinking, oh my gosh, how's this going to go? I walk out going, gosh, that was terrific. Even yeah. ones that I think, you know, even like everybody said, oh, you know, uh, you guys got to go deal with the city of Portland. And oh, you're never gonna. And, and we'd go down, and I'd sit there, and I'd think these are good people, and they're they're they want this to happen, mm-hmm. and they've been they've been terrific, and it's not easy. Like, and they would be the first to say it's not easy, but it takes some people who realize it's not easy, and just to keep going, and that's what we're gonna do. Yeah, I just don't think the city of Portland wants to be left at the altar again, and like they were in the two thousand early two thousands with the Nationals or the Expos at the time going to Washington. I mean, that was just kind of writing on the wall situation, much different. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, Portland was different then too. Far different. Portland was different even 10 years ago, you know, way different than it is now. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and, and that was a situation where you had one team that major league baseball had actually absorbed. And so it was a much different scenario. There was really with that group, that that group did some great things and Mm -hmm. they were terrific. Um, there wasn't a lot of connectivity to Major League Baseball like we have now. Um, and we are, we're in a very fortunate situation that there, and we've said this publicly so I can say it without kind of sounding, but the money is not an issue. Mm-hmm. It just isn't. And in fact, we are, we're having to say no a lot more than say yes for where <laughs> we're at in the project. Um, so then people say, well, what is it then? What's, what's, well, you know, you're trying to parallel track building a ballpark, which is, you know, what we've planned to do would be the biggest development. Long-term in the and predictions, of the city. you know, long-term yeah. and predictions is, that, yeah. that's the tricky part. It would be a massive development. Sustainability. That's a scale yeah. that the city has never seen before. Um, and then you're, you know, you're, you're doing that along with the challenge of, of building the ballpark, but we mm-hmm. have, we have great architects and designers on that um and then you have your government relations team and it's funny you, you when i think back to craig and i having lunch together and kind of talking about what this might look like to the size of the team that we have now mm-hmm. and the different talented people that we have um you know our, our our chief of staff john l bell who worked for senator merkley and john l has just been fabulous and nathan Naiman has been great with him and John McIsaac and PR, I could start going on and on and on. Oxley and Associates, and, and boy, it just it just we have so many good and talented people, and we have long conference calls every Tuesday morning, and then we have we split into different groups during the week and mm-hmm. have different meetings and calls, and lots of stuff that just has to be done. Um, but but they're they're great, they're talented, and everybody's all in on this, and that's why I have so much confidence in and it that's, now. So the ca- collaboration, people understand their roles and yeah. are willing to make some compromises and concessions and, 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 and work together. And that's good yeah. leadership, and that yeah. Craig gets credit for that. Craig was, you know, he, Craig ran Nike North America, Nike China, and and so he he's done a lot of this. I I there's a lot of meetings we're in, especially early on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what's. I don't come from that. You yeah. know, I'm not the guy who's gonna be able to understand to what mediate. a land use attorney is saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of understand it, but not really. <laughs> you know. So there's been times that I'm kind of like the legal. I got to remember what my role is here, and it isn't to figure out. Um, you know, the finances and the government end of things, but. But like we all go back again to, but I do know people mm-hmm. and, and I like to think that I can communicate with people and um, all different kinds of people. And that's kind of what this is. That's what this whole thing has been about. And I think that my role in this early on too, and the reason why, um, you know, and we didn't handcraft everything, but, but, but 
to have me involved on the heels of an unpopular decision that was made when Mike and I were released of our <laughs> relieved of our duties. Yeah. At least it attached a familiar face to a project that maybe could look like it was coming from outside. And I think there was some value in that mm-hmm. for people to go, well, we know him and we kind of hopefully trust him and like him. So if he knows these guys, then maybe we're going to get behind yeah. this when maybe we would have looked Street at cred. it much more Absolutely. skeptically. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that's been one really nice thing that's been, um, that, that my role in this has been pretty clear to me. And it doesn't mean that every turn has been easy. Has your, has your role evolved at all? Or, yeah. Yeah. How yeah. so? Oh, it's it's. Uh, I've got a meeting tomorrow. I'm in that I would not have been in that I've got a, that I'm ta- representing us in, um, and some of those things that I just wouldn't have known. Uh, the nature of a certain kind of business, be it real estate or government, mm-hmm. or but you, I've learned. I've I was going to say you're, you're learning a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And you're building yeah. confidence every single yeah. day. Yeah. You're you're doing this. You know, this. Um, when you were approached with this idea by Craig did you feel like you needed to jump in and, and learn more about the history of baseball within uh, the Portland metro area and others so you can get kind of a, a feeling and, you know, for what the historical aspect has been so you yeah, can like the relay that information? For this, you yeah, know, in terms yeah, of, yeah, and we did. And I didn't know all the Vaughn Street Park stories and mm-hmm. I didn't know about the Portland Rosebuds owned by Abe Saperstein and Jesse Owens and, you know, I, I didn't yeah. know all these stories. I didn't know... Um, I knew some of them, but I just didn't. I didn't know the whole Portland Mavericks story. I knew a little bit. I knew Kirk Russell, and I knew mm-hmm. you know. So I knew those things, but I didn't understand it like I do now. So it, it, it was a yeah, a lot of late nights. Yeah. Fortunately, these days on the internet, yeah. not having to go to the library or something, and 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 about I I'd, I'd been to Beavers games as a kid, Portland Beavers games. So I'd been up here and um, you know, but I didn't understand going all the way back. To Vaughn Street Park and when it started out, and but now it's you understand mm-hmm. um, the history and that Portland's a great baseball city, yeah. and the Northwest is a great baseball area with I, deep, deep roots. I think that gets trivialized. I think it gets minimized, but yeah, it is. That's that's one thing I've actually learned with Ben is mm-hmm. how much of a, a baseball area this is. You know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So you know, a couple of different things. You know, you had the the Portland Pioneers, the early baseball, and 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 that connection between Portland, Vancouver, and the other mm-hmm. areas locally, and how people were paying to play because it was a hobby to them, and then people would come out to watch these games, and then we go into Vaughn Street, and then the trolley guys built the stadium, Swigert like, and. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we can get the trolley line around the area. So and they were competitors. They were, which is the funny thing. Oh, they yeah. They 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 came together to up ridership, and uh, yeah, it's it's an amazing story. Um, how how they came together to build Vaughn Street Park, and mm-hmm. then the fire that took it out. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it, it's there's some crazy old pictures of Vaughn Street Park packed. You know, where they let people actually sit on the track. Yeah. That was the pretty knot amazing. hole game yeah. where the kids are looking yeah. through the knot holes in the outfield. Mm-hmm. It's great. I mean, baseball is so great, and there's so much romance. Yeah. And I remember yeah. Jack Dunn talking about like climbing up over right. the thing and coming yeah. or something, sneaking in. Mr. Dunn. But yeah. then we, I think the, everything we learned about like Vaughn Street and the early um, Civic Stadium was that everything burned at that point. Yeah, a lot of fires. <laughs> a lot of yeah. fires. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
because it was uh was it uh, i can't remember the the groundskeeper always would keep like sand around the whole park so it could help people like put out fires because they talked about like the peanut shells the the pieces of paper that were below the bleachers and smoking cigarettes yeah I mean, matches yeah, and yeah, right. cigarette butts just and putting everything cigarettes out in an all-wood ballpark <laughs> right. in august what could go wrong i know yeah exactly <laughs> this will be fine yeah um but you know, moving forward, you know, knowing this history now and and how it can be applied, which is which is fantastic, and letting people know, like Portland really is a baseball town. You, you just got to look back and see the historical aspect of it, and see like they will come to watch the games. So. And it's and it's an underserved sports market, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that. And I remember when, you know, when the Timbers came in and were going to go MLS, everybody said, oh, how's that going to work? And right. they're, they're never going to make it. And look at the success story there. Yeah. And look at the Thorns who were draw over 17,000 yeah. a game. The most, the most attended women's professional sport or club in the world. Any sport. In the world. Yeah, in <gasps> the world. Nobody, nobody draws like that. And so it's... You know, and it's the largest metro with only one of the big four leaving out the MLS only because when the economic studies groups do it, they oftentimes do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's underserved. And I think we've we've tried to explain that we, in the early going um, with people who were going to come in and, and, uh, and invest. Um, we had to explain some of that. So we had to know the story and know a lot of the economic numbers. And we've had a deep, long economic study, which is wrapping up almost as we speak which goes really deep into every i mean everything you can possibly think of of an area's economy to show demographic analysis and everything to show that you can support it and and quite frankly the first wave of that report we didn't know what it would show we were in kansas city at the time and and i was kind of like we met with the people in front of a whole bunch of others and i thought Let's hope these numbers come back the way we think they're they're going to, and they did. They they far exceeded what we thought, and they certainly backed us. And these are people not from here; they're from Texas, and they were able to say, "You absolutely could and will support a major league baseball team." And, and they and they do this enough to where they know, and then they can go on and say, "You'll you should have this." number of loge boxes you should have this number of suites you should they know exactly what will fit your market because mm-hmm. they've done this so many times mm. so that's where we've gotten a lot of our numbers okay. um and that's what we could continue to talk about people wonder where where those numbers come from this speculative uh you know enterprise so mm-hmm. that's interesting mm-hmm. you know that it's that specific and that that strategic and refined now yeah and we've tried to do that we've tried to come with you know we've tried to think of everything that could be asked um and have tried to you know we're not gonna have all the answers but we've tried to have as many as we can have um at every turn and we have we're gonna have to continue to do that and i think one of the positive things we did early on too um you know we grabbed the old logo and put it on hats and when russell wilson and sierra joined the group we, we had t-shirts and hats made but we really just had them made for that event and then all of a sudden everybody wanted them and so we said well we didn't do this to get in the hat and t-shirt business but now we got a store you know and, <laughs> and, and a brand yeah we yeah and we did that you know this was as we said and you still could probably say it and be accurate this has been a movement and when you can give a movement a logo and a brand and some depth to that brand it gives it power yeah. and i think that's what we've We've done. I'd like to say it's all been premeditated, but there's been some accidents that have been worked out really, really well. But I also think politically, you know, once you get a groundswell and grassroots effort behind it and Momentum. people are showing up and wearing mm-hmm. the gear and they're 
waving these flags. And they're not even a team yet. Yeah. That those are constituents. And yeah. that shows not only local politicians and state politicians, it shows Major League Baseball. They yeah. follow yeah. everything. Optics we and do. visibility. And they yeah, know exactly absolutely. what we're yeah. up to. And especially when you had the uh, the ballparks uh, deal that you had going on yeah. where you're like, hey, how many ballparks can we get? Can we get every single ballpark with something yeah, that MLB? Jen Burley, who does our social media, who's been terrific, and she last year said I'm seeing a lot of our people are taking selfies of themselves with our hat on That's cool. at different ballparks. And I said, well, how, I started looking. I said, there's like five or six ballparks on here. And so she lobs out a question. wonder how many days it would take to get Portland Diamond Project hat in every Major League Baseball park. It took 28 days. Really? And every ballpark had Portland Diamond That's Project cool. gear in it. Huh. Which is kind of crazy. It we was, were, wow. It was interesting. Yeah, you, you to couldn't have predicted unfold. that. No. Yeah, no 28 way. 28 days. You should have saw this all unfold. Everybody's taking no, pictures and cool. it's like, oh, we're here again. We're yeah, here. We're here. Yeah. And they want to be part of the movement. And I, you know, and I think the biggest thing we fight or the biggest fear I have is if you run into a stretch where, you know, we do this every day. We're working. There's, and everybody says, well, what, what's going on? I haven't heard anything lately. And it's, that doesn't mean there's not because there's not something they, they want to release on. every week. Right? We can't, yeah. you know, yeah. it's just and I, when we don't want to just start shooting out news to put out news when we have things to announce, we do. But um, we continue. to. You're not desperate and, for that kind yeah. of interest. No, right? not, yeah. not at this point. Yeah. Um, but we want people to keep the momentum going and keep the belief going and not go, OK, you know, fatigue is setting in. And I don't think that'll be the case. But even for us, though. Um, you want to make sure that fatigue doesn't set in. And you want to continue to, to to pound away, which which yeah. we do. We got Keep plenty, that plenty of fuel yeah. in the tank. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've guys have made some relationships with local organizations, and one of those happens to be Friends of Baseball. Like, you know, how did that relationship develop? Did they come to the Diamond Project? Or you guys go to to them and just kind of saying, "Hey, let's work something out." We've had we've had lots of discussions with lots of groups. I mean, a lot of people find you. Um, and Nova Newcomer, who is running Friends of Baseball, and Keenan Longcore, who I've started it. Nova on the show. Oh, they're, oh, they're great. just great people. And, and, and honestly, it started when we started, we had the gear with the hats, T-shirts, and stuff going. We went, okay, what are we going to, we don't want to profit off this, you know. Um, and so we said, well, let's create a nonprofit organization. And then mm-hmm. we decided, kind of looked into that and went, why don't we just partner with one that's already rolling? And so we did with Friends of Baseball. So all of the profits from our gear go to friends of baseball. Very cool. So cutting them checks now and then is a really nice thing to be able to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. And then you talked about like, especially with the hats, like the, I think the Detroit Tigers reached out to you guys or something. About no, that. Fan, no fans said that that was kind of the same, but, but then when they understand that we'd lifted that from 1901, we yeah, didn't yeah. yeah. you know, yeah. we're just using an old P. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like it's going to, it likely be the logo of no. the team it's, when it gets it's here. for now. Yeah, it is the logo of the group trying to bring a team yeah. to Portland is what it is. Separate those yeah. two. Yeah, absolutely. So you have investors, Sierra and Russell Wilson, both individually on their own. Um, and you had talked about how you know you were invited by Craig to go up and meet with them in, in Seattle. What was that like enthusiasm that they were showing when you just kind of walked through the door to talk to them about this? Well, Craig. Craig knew Russell from his Nike days. He signed Russell, and he also was around Sierra some. And I had met Russell once, but it was at a Blazer game when he came down one time. Um, but we went up there with a you know a kind of a pitch in mind, um, and then it was just it was on a summer evening or a spring. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was probably I think it was May maybe. 
Um, and we went up to his office in Seattle, overlooks the sound, and it was Mark Rogers, who's his agent, who's a baseball agent. Huh. But he happens to I have figured he'd have a baseball NFL. agent. Yeah. yeah, figures. And it was just us four. And we sat down, and I mean, just within moments, and, and everybody, you know, if you follow Russell at all, you know he's, you know, a man of incredibly strong faith, and so is Mark, his agent. And we started to talk, and we weren't five minutes in, and Mark said, this is an answer to prayer. And, I mean, Craig and I just were, like, on cloud nine at that point, and we knew Russell was in. That's cool. And immediately it was just like, what can I do? And, they, and they're like that, even during the football season at times, you know, he's asking, what, what's going on? What, huh. What's the update? He's maintained interest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and cool. Sierra, and then we thought they were going to come in together. And then Sierra was like, I'm not, I'm, I'm doing my own thing. I'm, mm-hmm. she knew history of owners and minority owners and female owners. And she had all that, st- she'd already done her homework. Huh. And, and this is really important to her too. Yeah. So they've been terrific. Because cool. if this happens, she would be technically in the small minority of, of female owners yeah. in, in the league, which mm-hmm. is pretty phenomenal and um i know that it's kind of doing a little bit about russell he you know he likes to work with inner city youth and shows like enthusiasm on that with like the development and i could see how that really works with the friends of baseball aspect and and what they're doing and i know that um they're they're really helping out a lot of like oh he's amazing in his visits to the you know the children's cancer clinic and he goes on social with that stuff and what he does he does so much of that stuff just completely on his own even during the season that's just it's amazing. They don't get much better than, than that guy. I mean, he's, um, it's never for show for, for with him. He's, he's a real deal. So what's it like working with Craig every day? It's fantastic. We were just in, I was just in Palm Springs with him and it was the first time we had both kind of stepped away and just, we, we played around a golf one afternoon and we just were, it was quiet and we were both able to, and cause so often we're, either together trying to accomplish something or we're, we've, we're split like, mm-hmm. like right now he's in, he's in San Francisco. Um, and I'm here to handle meetings here. So we kind of do that a lot, but this was a chance last week for us to just to hang out and talk away from the noise a little bit. And no, it's great. Our mm-hmm. relationship is, I mean, he's a, he's a dear friend now, you know, I, I didn't know him well in the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, but I had friends who knew him well. And that's amazing that we didn't, we weren't friends because we know so many of the same people, but, um, we both have the best thing in common. And that is we want to do this for the right reasons. And Craig, you know, grew up in Vancouver, went to Washington state, was a baseball guy. Our backgrounds are pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we want to see this for our region and we want to see it for our city. And I think that's what drives us. But we are also different enough to where um, if one guy is strong in one area, then the other guy and the other guy can back up a little bit. And if the other guy, you know, then there'll be some events where I can step in and step up and he can step back. And so we balance each other out pretty well. Um and that's been really, really fun to be a part of. He's been, I mean, tremendous to work with. And, you know, and, I, even if something weird were to happen and this were not to continue, it's not going to, but if it were not to, we, we would remain close friends because now it's like, you know, it's kind of like you've been in trenches together and 
and, cool. and want to continue to be in the trenches, but we also are going to be really happy when we're standing someday soon, hopefully, in a ballpark with a Major League Baseball team in Portland. Yeah, on a That's nice awesome. spring evening, yeah. nice air. Mid-summer, yeah. yeah. The roof opened up. No better place be, in the country with weather yeah. in the summer than oh, here. July, yeah. some late July. That's been a shocking stat, too. We had all those sun studies and weather studies. Portland has the sixth least amount of rainfall of any Major League Baseball city during the season. That's awesome. You know, we, we had all those studies on the Mariners have used. They, I think they've used their roof 12 or 13% of the time since they built the ballpark. We are going to do a roof. Sure. But we've had moments where we've gone, I don't know that we need it. Mm-hmm. But you got April and you got, you know, postseason October and September. And uh, so it's going to need the roof. We, we've come to that. We kicked around the idea because... It is really expensive to do a roof, but mm-hmm. we've we we do need one. So yeah, and in some of the designs, it's all glass from what it looks like, yeah. so you can get a lot of light in, uh-huh. which is great. As opposed to some of the other stadiums where they close it, there's no real light. Yeah, and and you have to also keep in mind most of your games are at night, but in the summer here, it doesn't get dark till ten o'clock. You know, mm-hmm. um, so um, but it's going to be terrific. I mean, it's. It, I think about the ballpark design. I think about the summer nights in Portland. And I used to do courtside when I was with the Blazers, and I'd walk out in that Rose Quarter area, the Commons, after mm-hmm. the show, and I'd just then there'd be it'd be dead. And I'd think if I could just walk to a ballpark now and watch a game this evening and sit in the stands. And, and when mm-hmm. we've gone around and traveled for various meetings and have hit some Major League Baseball parks and watched mm-hmm. games, I forget what a family atmosphere it is and the young kids and. The fact that you can afford a game, I think mm-hmm. the average ticket price is like forty-two bucks. That's that's average. So that's taking in suites, VIP, luxury boxes, and that's about half the price of some of the other major sports. And I, I think that's a major point for us, is we want mm-hmm. there to be a ten-dollar ticket. You know, like a lot of the teams have. We want it to be accessible because you know, honestly, in the NBA, there's not a lot of not a whole lot of families down low. You might have some up high, but it's just mm-hmm. so... Like if you're in New York, and of course it's New York, but it's just, you know, the, the, the lower bowl is largely lawyers and stockbrokers. You know, I mean, it's not... Mm-hmm. Whereas we went back to a Yankees game last year, and there's just little kids with their gloves and jerseys and hats everywhere, and it just was... Reminded me of being a kid and how much I love the game and yeah. love baseball. You know, especially with some of these kids and they they have their favorite players and being able to see some of these guys come into town and be able to watch them them play. And I think one of the awesome things will be too is like some hometown kids coming back to play oh, or yeah. playing for the team. Or, you know, you have your, your guys that went to, to Oregon State, uh, University of Portland, Linfield, mm-hmm. you know, Washington, you know, U of O, just these other schools around the area that they could come back to the Northwest and other than Seattle and play. But then also, no matter whether you're in the AL or the NL, getting the, the Mariners to come down to play and having that rivalry, just like, oh, you know, know, the Timbers have, so... Yeah, and then like back when Blazers and Sonics had their rivalry, mm-hmm. which I was fortunate enough to be involved with for a long time and watch the fan bases. I mean, I can't imagine how cool that would be, will be, when that rivalry, you know, the I-5 rivalry is stoked up in Major mm-hmm. League Baseball. And, you know, you think about the gap between San Francisco and the Bay Area and Seattle and there not being a Major League team in the middle. Now this just fills such a natural void and it gives, you know, the MLB network and baseball another, you know, 10 o'clock Eastern time 
first pitch, mm-hmm. which they need. Um, and, you know, we, we look forward again to, to getting back and meeting with the commissioner again mm-hmm. and figuring out how this can happen. And, yeah. and, and they, they know everything we're doing because they follow everything we do. We don't make an announcement without conferring with, with, with those guys. And, and mm-hmm. so we're in close contact with yeah. everybody back there and um, they're watching closely. They know what we're doing and they know that we're trying to do it exactly right. Um, and because of that, you know, we will come up with some things and say, Hey, we're going to, we'd love to talk about this. We'd love to announce this. What do you mm-hmm. guys think? And sometimes they'll go, Hmm, maybe not. And so we do, yeah. but the fact that we're in contact with them and very respectful of the process while at the same time, I, uh, you know, a little pressure isn't a bad thing. We're ready. Pot's mm-hmm. boiling. Let's go. Yeah. One of the things that I was thinking about as, you know, continue to think about this project and everything, like some like nights that you'll have, like, you know, retro nights. Oh One God. of the things that would be kind of fun is, is have like an old PCL night where you have like the, yeah. the seals or you have, you know, the old, maybe the Portland, old Portland Ducks with the weird looking uniforms or the old school Portland Beavers. But the just, Lucky Beavers. Yeah. In the old days. Yeah. They, they, bringing back some of those old timer old PCL teams uh-huh. um, and it would be just almost exactly putting the PCL back together mm-hmm. and people ask a lot of times NL or AL what would you rather and I I, I never really have a good answer I don't care I, yeah. I just want the team and I've heard you've always say that and I, I was on the impression initially from myself is, is that why not have an AL but then as I listen to you more and more it's like it actually really doesn't matter nowadays no. because if you, you really play. think about it you play everybody yeah. and you know just you know, I was at an event that you had one time and they were talking about, you know, even just having another team on the West Coast. Like you, you could just make the travel much easier mm-hmm. and you can create more West Coast rivalries mm-hmm. by by doing that. And, you know, even Seattle would still have that rivalry. So I, I think it's pretty amazing what you're doing. I really appreciate what you're, you and Craig and the additional staff is doing for this particular area. I completely uh, hope that baseball does come and it comes soon. Um, I know a lot of people are like, is it going to be Tampa Bay? Is it going to be Oakland? And I constantly get these questions like nowadays. And I'm like, you know, it's either going to be one of those or it's going to be expansion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll find out. It's just how are the the dominoes going to fall? And can, you know, my opinion is can these two teams you know, make something happen because I'm assuming that the, the the commissioner, you don't have to say anything, but I'm assuming that the commissioner probably has a timeline in his mind and Major League Baseball probably does too. Oh, I think it's safe to say they're on the clock. Yeah. For sure. And they're not, and they're not going to wait around. Nothing's happening. And yeah, I mean, it's, and, and we don't, we're not rooting against them. No. It's, it would, it's in our favor that they solve their issues yeah. now. So we're, every time we see a piece of positive news, we're like, great, get it mm-hmm. done. Um, but we're not seeing a whole lot right now. Um, but that's, that's where I think we have, uh, a good chance is, you know, we, we've said from the beginning, we want to prepare ourselves to be able to take either. We want to provide baseball with options, be it to help settle a struggling franchise. And if not, then we know that collective in the collective bargaining agreement is expansion. Mm-hmm. And Rob Manfred was just given a you know, re up for five years with a unanimous mm-hmm. vote. So he's got some power now and he baseball traditionally moves at a glacial pace, mm-hmm. but Rob's a little different in how he does things. He pushes on things and, and you know, even some of the changes to the game they're talking about and the DH and all these things mm-hmm. that you're hearing about, he's, he's a little bit more aggressive than some in the past. And so we're going to rely on that aggressiveness when mm-hmm. it comes to, you know, getting the expansion, getting to 32. Because a lot of, you know, the more you see NHL 
expanding. MLS yeah. is handing out teams right and left. So it's happening Let's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with with let's just say relocation for example so if there were to be like a relocation would would the team stay where they're at currently until the stadium's built or would there be some sort of alternate solution into the meantime well there's i mean there's lots of different ways you can do it I mean, you can you know you can do an oakland raiders situation which has not been ideal clearly mm-hmm. you know you have a few lame duck seasons um but yeah that's something that we have looked into uh, a lot uh, like in terms of you're talking about perhaps a, a tentative space or something uh, while the ballpark is getting built because it does take three years to build a ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've looked into all of that. All those options are open. Yeah, I can't imagine like if you're you're sitting there knowing that you have this expansion team or you have a real team that's relocating and you're just looking at the stadium view, getting all that excitement. Right. Do you find yourself ever like going out to Terminal Two area, the the current known location? I know that you said that you have others, but do you ever find yourself just going out walking around? And yeah, I was thinking? out there a week and a half ago on a, in an evening night. Uh, it was Craig and I and John L. Bell and a couple of other gentlemen, and we were we were out there walking around and driving around and. I mean, it's just it's just sitting there. It's a big piece of concrete. We're just going, man, oh, man. I mean, you can see the mountain and the sun is starting to go down and it was just perfect. No wind. And it's just, yeah, it's just I mean, no matter where you go in the city, every time we have been on a site, we've it doesn't take much to get the imagination going. It's like when, you know, when John Kinsella looks at the cornfield and sees the field appear, you know, yeah. in his imagination, it's almost like that. And it's been easy to do because we want it so badly. Mm-hmm. And so a couple more questions and we'll let you go. Um, so la- for one of the last questions is if you could. Greg Kinsella, your- not John. John was his dad. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I you- just started thinking that I got to get that right. Go ahead. If you could build a team uh, with around a particular player, you know, whether it be past or present, you know, who would the be and why? Man, there's there's so much good young talent right now in the league and you know you you watch a guy like Mookie Betts and all the things he can do um mm-hmm. I, I he he's it I've been asked that before I really admire his game mm-hmm. I love guys obviously for because I'm an Oregon State guy but Michael Conforto is a guy that I I love to watch and um you know when you when you watch some of these guys and that's where baseball I think the the physical side is not quite as vital as it is in other sports, you know, like basketball. You're not mm-hmm. going to see a lot of, but when you when you look at an MVP that is half the size of an Aaron Judge, you know, it's it's crazy mm-hmm. to look at sometimes. Um, but I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, it, it's and you look at Otani, you know, and uh, before the surgery, but I mean, being able to hit the way he does and pitch the way he does, mm-hmm. it, it's amazing how international. You know, we're starting to see more and more of that. Um, Especially with Ichiro's retirement and how much that meant to Seattle. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, Um, the highlights from that and his final game were were amazing. And I and I know that there's a there's a push to globalize the game, like there is in a lot of the sports. Um, I mean, it's it's you you know what what it means to to Japan, and even we're seeing it in China, and we're seeing it obviously in Korea and in other places and we want to we're mindful of that and we, we've had those we've had meetings about that and what that would look like mm-hmm. um, and trying to be a, an incubator for Major League Baseball if you because there's a lot of teams and a lot of ways that teams have of doing things that are like um, no this is the way we do it we want to be like nah you want to try something want to test something out use us yeah we'll try it 
You I know, feel, and that's what that's what Portland mm-hmm. and the Northwest is kind of all about. Yeah. When you you get into the spirit of the people and what makes uh, Portlanders proud is the you know the pioneering nature mm-hmm. of a lot of the people that are here, and so I think we we want to kind of reflect that. We do anyway, but we want to share with baseball that. If you want to try something funky in a ballpark or you want to try something different with TV or if you want to um, try some different kind of connectivity with other parts of the world, we're ready to go. We're yeah. all ears. Well, I see the team kind of being like the early 2000 uh, Boston Red Sox with the big beards, you know, mm-hmm. Johnny Damon, long hair, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Euclid just sweating like well, it's crazy. It's like the Mavericks. Portland yeah. Mavericks were, you know, that's, that's why that is such a great series on you know a special on netflix you yep. watch that and that's just and it resonated with portland mm-hmm. you know back when portland was weird then not as it is not as weird as it is now and everybody's proud mm-hmm. of that of course yeah um but that's we we love that and a lot of people love that name mm-hmm. <laughs> you know we get a lot of questions about nicknames and we'll, we'll we'll get to all that but we love the involvement and love the suggestions mm-hmm. yeah, and if you haven't watched that's uh the batter bastards of baseball it's on netflix it's a really great flick and it is about the uh the single a uh independent baseball team the portland mavericks owned by uh bing russell the uh, famous actor and his son was uh, kurt russell who was a uh, management and was a, I think a dh on the team at the time but uh he, you know he played for the team and some other local guys that that were here um but uh you know last question um for you so you're culminating on everything like what's What's been the funnest experience to date for you with this project? Man, that is hard to narrow down. Um, it's been it's been an interesting ride for me personally that I don't talk a lot about. But you go from life in the NBA and travel, but the love of that team that had been my team as a kid, and you know the circumstances that led them to decide to make a change. And as heartbreaking as that was for Mike and I, it starts to make some sense when I can connect the dots now. And that's why I have such a strong belief that this is going to happen because it just makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I look at it now and I think, okay, I can see why now, I mean, I'm sounding like a spiritual way I'm talking, which is fine because I am, Mm -hmm. but it it, it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me now why that happened when, when at times there have been times when I've scratched my head and wondered why, why that went the way it did Mm -hmm. now to see that we're having a chance and and I'm playing a role in this, be it whatever it is, minor, major, or in the middle, it's probably more in the middle than anything. But, um, that I think has been and that's not a specific answer to your question, but I think for me, that whole part of it, and forget forget the identity part of it, because people get caught up into that in the way that you're seen by people. It's not that. It's not, and that's not why I like it. Mm-hmm. It's more personal for me. It's more feeling value and bringing value to a project that you believe in. That probably has been the best part of this to yeah. this point. I would say having listened to everything that you, you said and kind of where you've been, it's like, you know, a kind of spiritual little bit myself where I think everything happens for a reason. And I think that you go in life and you take away things and you learn from things. And it's about how do you apply like what you've learned in the past? What do you apply? What are you learning now and how you can apply that moving forward? And I think that, you know, you totally like what you've done from your 
you know, playing baseball, learning from your dad, learning how to deal with people, then that helped you move to the next level. And that still is continuing to help you like, you know, move today, how you're talking to people, how you, you know, you listen and you, you, you take things, you move it. And then your time with the blazers and then, you know, what you've learned there. And then you know, the stuff moving forward. So yeah, sorry start, for being starts, long-winded. No, it's starting to make me, I laugh cause it was starting to make me feel old, but you're right. When I start gluing it all together, but I think the biggest thing we say I say, and I, and I don't certainly always do a good job of this, but just control what you can control. Mm-hmm. And all you really can control is your reaction to yeah. an action. And I think that if that is always kept in mind, and I've used that at times talking to groups about our group in that we control, you know, we try to only control what we can control. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's true, but it's also true personally too. And I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good philosophy for or at least a way to try to achieve in life what you want to achieve is to to truly just and that you know if I could get it mastered I probably wouldn't be a very stressed out person but I I you know I work on it every day just like I think everybody should but um just try and control the reaction to to things that you can't control that's that's I think the biggest biggest thing that I've learned out of all of this stuff and and like again connecting some of the dots having my belief where it is in this project and with the people I'm working with yeah, well, thank you very much for, for coming on these two episodes, joining us and spending a little time. We really, really appreciate it. And we thank you for doing so. So um, any closing thoughts? No, we appreciate you guys. Appreciate everybody out there who's shown support. And you guys have shown so, so much support, um, you know, and a lot of people have. And I know it's personal. And there's been a lot of times when I'll be at an event or speaking at an event or we'll have an event. And, and there have been, I mean, I'm telling you, it's happened 20 times where somebody's come up and started to talk to me and started to well up with tears thinking about this happening. And it shows me how much it means to people. It makes me feel a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. um, because we got to make this happen. And after they walk off, it's like, wow, that was a lot of, I'm, I'm taking that pressure on. But it was in a good way because I can feel their passion mm-hmm. Um, for the sport, and I think in a, in a certain way, baseball has that. And not to say that all sports, you know, the other sports don't, but baseball has a funny it gets it gets a funny grip on you. And I think to know that so many people here have that, we're going to do our dangness to see that we can make this dream come true. Excellent. And one thing I would say is that. Um, idea food carts maybe having some food carts oh, yeah. in the uh, the we, outfield we, or whatever we got that going the, man yeah all right well love thank the you. ideas yeah thank you again appreciate your time thank you and guys. that'll do it for this episode um as always i'm ben you know my partner dave had to take off but uh mike thank you for coming on and we'll uh, leave it at that peace out